we have to have to always uh, understand this kids with FASD can learn they learn at different rates and they learn through different mechanisms but they can learn and they will learn Hello everyone, thank you for joining us again as we continue to learn more about FASD through a variety of lenses and how we can use this knowledge to better support our students in the classroom. On this episode, we are fortunate to be able to sit down with Dr. James Reynolds, who is a well-known neuroscientist in the field of FASD. Dr. Reynolds is a professor in the neuroscience department at Queen's University. He's also a researcher, educator, and currently is the interim chief scientific officer for Kids Brain Health Network, which is a national network of excellence linking researchers and clinicians across Canada who are dedicated to mobilizing new knowledge to improve the lives of children with developmental disorders and their families. As you can see, Dr. Reynolds has a wealth of experience, knowledge, and passion for supporting individuals with FASD. And it's through this lens that I'm excited to learn more about how we as educators can better support our students with FASD. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Reynolds. And I was wondering if we could start off by describing what is FASD, and then we could build from that. It, it's a brain injury. I mean, that's the thing we need to think about and remember all the time. It is a uh, developmental brain injury that has a, a known cause. It's actually one of the few developmental disorders where we have a pretty clear understanding of the causes and uh, uh, the consequences uh, because of all of the, the, the basic research that has, have a, has enabled us to model this disorder in, uh, in animal models to control uh, alcohol exposure and then to look at the outcomes. and. Uh, Considering FASD as a, a brain injury caused by uh, an event that, or events that occurred during development is, is how we have to think about it. So Dr. Reynolds, why as a neuroscientist did you decide to focus your research on FASD? Well, there's no more valuable resource in our society than our children. And uh, one of the other things that, that we know is that Many of our, of our children uh, face challenges from developmental disorders such as FASD. But it's, it, it's not that they or us uh, are, and their families are without any hope. In fact, we know there's many things that we can do that kids and their families can be supported. We have evidence for the ability of the brain of a child with FASD to respond to environmental enrichment and other environmental stimuli that will impact the brain and, and how it develops. And that in turn will impact on that child's development uh, and their ability to, to reach their full potential. You just mentioned the impact of a positive environment on an individual with FASD, which I think is very important for educators to know. Uh, that they can help provide this nurturing, inclusive, and supportive environment. But I think it's also important to know how environment can also result in potential adverse outcomes. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. And that's, we think about, uh, or we can and we should actually think about the, the, the environmental influences. Certainly, uh, prenatal drug and alcohol exposure 
creates this risk for uh, an adverse outcome in a child. But when you add in the secondary traumas that can occur uh, in, in children that, uh, that actually interact with that prenatal exposure. So just as we say enrichment and stimulation can help a child with FASD, the opposite, when they're, when they're neglected, when, uh, you know, and uh, this is, this is uh, something that we know, uh, many children with a history of prenatal alcohol exposure end up in the child welfare system. And because of their behavioral challenges, uh, they often end up being moved from home to home to home to home. It is not uncommon for, for these kids to live in 10, 15, 20 different homes as they're growing up. Can anybody look at that situation and say that that is a, is a healthy situation? It's not healthy for any child. But if you take a, a vulnerable, a child who's vulnerable, uh, uh, such as uh, they are uh, because of, of uh, prenatal alcohol exposure, that child is so much more at risk of uh, an adverse outcome from, from that situation. So we think of it as, as the second insult, or actually the third and the fourth and the fifth, really. Uh, and that contributes to the secondary disabilities and comorbidities that, that occur with such a high frequency in, the, in this population, the mental health challenges, the school failures. Uh, these are things that we can do something about and, uh, and we need to, we need to do a much better job. Yeah, I think given the potential adverse outcomes for individuals with FASD, it's so important that we as educators have a good understanding of FASD and that we find effective ways to support these students um, while at school. And the, the support, and that's a great word for it, uh, support and understanding uh, and consistency. This may be uh, uh, one of the, 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 the biggest challenges that, that families face. And, and if you do talk to families, you, know, you will hear universally that the challenges their children face in school is amongst their biggest concerns. In fact, it's, it's almost always the first thing you hear from families. The school doesn't understand. The teacher doesn't understand. And uh, even even when they uh, you know the family may find a school that's that's willing and able to support their their child, the next year it's a new teacher, a new situation, and they have to start over again. It's a constant battle, and it wears families down. It wears down uh, parents to have to constantly advocate and educate to try and and gain the support for their children, and this is. This is something we don't pay enough attention to. It's the stress that, that these situations place on, on the parents and on the family. You know, we talk about support uh, for, for a child. We need to think about the child who's a member of a family that requires our understanding and support. And when both of those entities don't get it, uh, that's when things can go wrong. Uh, and that's uh, so we need to do we need to to remember the parent in uh, in this equation and and make sure we're supporting them as well. So yeah, school can um, 
be a very challenging environment for our students. And keeping in mind, like you said, the stress on parents and how they need to be a part of that conversation and how we need to do a better job of including them in that conversation. They do, uh, you know, it's, it, and we don't, we don't consider this. I, I can give you an example of a family that, that I've, uh, I've worked with who they, adopt, they adopted two twins at, at birth. And uh, as it's happened, both, both of the children are affected by prenatal alcohol exposure. Uh, they, they, have, uh, they have advocated and they have supported those, those kids uh, and their battles. And there's, there's no other word for it. Their battles with the, the school system to support those kids. Uh, I put enormous stress on the family. And in fact, the daily phone calls from the school, your, your child is disruptive or your children are disruptive, come and get them. Meant that, that, that mother was unable to, she had to, she had to give up her career. Her career became supporting her kids. Uh, and that puts financial stress on the family, let alone the emotional stress of constantly uh, having to intercede. So that's a pretty common scenario. Uh, and, it, and again, it's something that I think we can do a much better job at. I agree. So I have a question. I'm curious. Coming from the perspective of the brain and their vast experience of, of working with individuals with FASD, I'm wondering if you can give some thoughts or advice for teachers working with students in their classroom with an FASD diagnosis or not um, on how to best support uh, these students in their classrooms. So there's, there's the kids with a formal diagnosis and uh, then there's uh, almost certainly a large number of affected children. Well, there is. I mean, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a mystery. There are a large number of affected children in our school system who don't have a formal diagnosis, but they still have the need. And so understanding that all children are different, uh, and we talk about, we talk about disorders like FASD being very heterogeneous. There are no two kids with this disorder who are alike. They're all different. Uh, but those differences uh, are also present in, in children, period. You know, and when we, when we try to support uh, kids in uh, a classroom setting, uh, understanding their differences and that the same approach won't work for every child. That, that lesson, if you apply that lesson and look for the things that do work with, with individual children. You know, if your standard approach that you must follow is not working, change your approach. You'll probably get a different outcome. Uh, because as we've heard today, and uh, you'll hear over and over again, it's not that kids with FAC and, and other disorders, it's not that they can't learn but they learn differently. And sometimes you need to think differently about how, what your approach is. Some of these uh, things we heard about uh, Jocelyn this morning, how she responds to music. Well, I've heard stories from, uh, from other individuals, how one, uh, one family who's 
daughter learned math through music because the teacher was willing to think outside the box and understand that child and that child's strengths, which is another thing we haven't talked touched on, is the strengths of these children that can be used to support them and to support their, their learning activities. Don't try to force a, the child to do things that they can't. Find the things that they can. Yeah, absolutely so important, the strengths, focusing on the strengths for our students with FASD. And um, I'm wondering if you can maybe touch a little bit more on that as far as from the perspective of the brain and, and what your research and your experience of, of um, ideas around supporting those students with FASD, um, focusing on their strengths. There's, uh, I've heard this quote and I, and I, and I love it. It's from, it's from a, a an individual who's, who's done a lot of work in, in, in innovating education for kids with FASD. Um, the child is not going to change, which means that you do, the teacher. You need to change. And uh, when you take that approach, you will find a, a, a child who's, who's, who wants to, to succeed, who, who wants to uh, have praise uh, who wants like any other child they want to be able to do things that they enjoy uh, and when we and when we support them in that when we look at at the things that children are good at all children and particularly uh, these children when we look at them and think about them as kids who have strengths and abilities ambitions and dreams and we try to support that rather than you're just you're just the, my you're my problem child you're disruptive you're preventing me from getting this lesson done so go sit in the hallway that's never going to work uh, because that child is not going to make that association the child is not going to know that they're being excluded because they can't control their behavior. So we need to change. We need to change our approach, our environment. Uh, and when we do, when we do those simple things, and they're very, very simple, what we find is that these kids will thrive. Yeah, that's great. That reminds me of that quote by Diane Malvin that our children are 10-second kids in a one-second world. And uh, for students with FASD, that um, that the need for extra time, that need for extra support around that time piece and how challenging that can be as teachers, as educators in such a busy classroom environment, but yet how essential it is for our students with FASD when we do look at those neurodevelopmental domains that could be impacted and, uh, and how that can support those students. And so I think all of that kind of plays into the importance of recognizing the needs of our students and then supporting them with those strategies that are going to assist their learning. Absolutely, because uh, you just triggered a, a thought um, and, and, we, and we heard it uh, this morning, tra this idea of transitions. Uh, and I'll use the, uh, 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 the family I, I've, I've worked with uh, back home. Um, their son's biggest challenge was recess. 
because the the child would would go out and and you, and you know the you know the the playground in a in a school at recess is a is a chaos of of noise and activity and 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 games and sensory stimulation and and we and we love that we love to see the kids moving and uh, and and then you bring them back inside and so we're going to do math now and that one little boy he's, he's so I'm not I I don't understand I I have you know I haven't caught up with you here I can't do math right now. Uh, because you know, I'm upset by something that happened on the school ground. Somebody said something to me, or something went wrong, and I'm upset, and my triggers have all been pulled, and I'm about to have uh, an emotional breakdown, and you want me to do math. Uh, what all that does is, is, is trigger the externalizing behavior that is disruptive, and now, we're looking at that child as someone who's, who's being uh, deliberately disobedient, uh, oppositional, and our, our first response, remove them. Uh, and so not understanding those, those triggers uh, and those, uh, those, the difficulty that these kids can have transitioning from one situation to another not changing our approach to, to that child, to support those transitions, to, to, to help them through that, that process. Because when we do, once again, we find uh, a child who's able to achieve success. And that means that we're being more successful. All right, Dr. Reynolds. In the education field, we have a thing called two stars and a wish. And I'm hoping uh, that you can give us two stars, so two things you think are going well uh, in the field of FASD, so maybe it's research or education, and maybe a wish that you kind of in the future hope to see, okay? Can I go for my wish first? And maybe we'll go from there. So we've actually talked with with parents um, and asked them about their challenges. And I alluded to this earlier that uh, families see the challenges of their children in, in school as a major, major influence on, on their lives and, and things that they worry about. Uh, the fact that parents, as we heard this morning, uh, you know, worried, and, and most of them, if they're not in a supportive school, they worry. They worry about when they're going to get that phone call. So the treatment of, of children with FASD in the school system is so uneven across this country. We actually do need a national approach to FASD. We need a national approach to educating kids with developmental disabilities. Uh, and we need standards. And we need to understand the best practices. We need to know and identify those strategies that work for these kids. And we need to have them being applied equally wherever these these kids are that should be a fundamental expectation that we will do the best for all of our kids through an understanding of their individual needs their strengths and how 
we can support them and what structures we need to put in place to support them. That should be our goal uh, because that will have a dramatic impact on not just the development of those kids and the stability and health of their families, but gives them a chance at life. And that's all any kid wants and what any, what any family wants for their children. They want them to have a chance at life. Right now, we're not giving them that chance. And so we can do better. That's my wish. All right, good. Okay, how about two stars? So two things you see that are going pretty well. We, we, know, we know so much about the disorder. We know so much about uh, the, uh, the, the, the structure of the brain, how the structure of the brain can be altered by prenatal alcohol exposure. We know so much about genetic vulnerability and its contribution. We know so much more now about the role that factors, other factors can play in, in both the risk and the resilience. Uh, and this is, uh, if, if, if anything, I th- uh, where I see very uh, positive movement is the, the, informa- the, the new knowledge that's being gained on, on what provides resilience in, in families and, and kids. The more knowledge we gain in, in that area, and the more it's put into implementation, uh, I can see better and better outcomes for, for, for children and families. So I think that's a, that's a, a positive move. Uh, and uh, moving, again, more towards a, a strength-based approach to, to both understanding and supporting children, not forever dwelling on the things they can't do, but first, first, looking at them as, as children who can do great things, who have, who have strengths, who have interests, who have talents, uh, enormous talents and uh, in learning from, from children, learning, uh, giving a voice to children. That's another very positive move, uh, letting, giving, giving a voice to children, letting them speak for themselves. Uh, and listening. Those are, those, I can see those shifts happening in, in our field uh, and uh, bringing another great one that I, that I see and, and really want to promote is recognizing the contribution of the family to you know, get away from this is a child we have to fix as this is, a, this is a child who's in a family, and that family is actually the, the best interventionist f- and supporter for, the, for that child. Uh, and recognizing that and empowering parents to be, uh, to be part of, of the team, directing the, the support for, for their child, I think that as a, as a philosophy of how we approach developmental disabilities in general and FASD in, in, in particular is mo- going to move us in the right direction of, of supporting the child and the family in the community. All right. Thank you so much for sitting down with us on this podcast and sharing your thoughts from the lens of a neuroscientist. 
Now, initially, I was expecting this conversation to be focused on the brain and its complexities and how that relates to better supporting our students with FASD. However, you really made it clear that it's not that complicated. Uh, It's simply about listening to the student and, if needed, changing our approach as teachers to meet those needs. For me personally, I took away many practical ideas from this conversation, such as the importance of remembering that this is a brain-based disability, where if the proper supports are not provided, there can be additional adverse outcomes. As well, Dr. Reynolds shared with us the importance of listening to the family and giving a voice to the individual when supporting their needs. And finally, that our students with FASD can, want to, and will learn when we as educators use appropriate strategies in a positive learning environment.